Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Yes, uh, Justin. So I'm planning to uh, sell my condominium, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's paid off. And I would like to know if it's a good idea to invest this money in an income program. And provides unbiased answers. So there's nothing wrong with that strategy of uh, putting in something moderately conservative in a, a three to five year time frame saying you need to use it, you can still take some risk with that. Invest Talk, over 30 million downloads and counting. Hi, I am a young person living in an expensive city. My fiance and I both make a lot more money than our parents, but we know that our parents haven't been saving for retirement. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, April 14th, 2021 edition of Invest Talk. I appreciate you all tuning in this hour, and I am here to help you become a better investor, better with your money. That is my goal each and every weekday, myself and Steve. And on this podcast, we operate with the mission statement of independent thinking and shared success. So no matter what I'm talking about, individual stocks, the, the market as a whole, explaining things about different industries and asset classes... Whatever I'm speaking about today, I will be presenting it all without bias. I'm just here to give you the facts as I see them using the data in front of me, as well as my 20 years of investment experience. Now, I'm Justin Klein. Of course, we encourage you to contact us with your finance and investment questions. And when you do that, you get to shape the show to your liking. In fact, you can call right now and interact with me live during our live stream program, 4 to 5 Pacific Time, or you can leave a question our anytime voice bank, which the number never changes, as always, is 888 chart So let's get straight to our first listener question now. Good afternoon, guys. Love the podcast. This is Christian from Los Angeles, California. Looking at ticker symbol J&J, that's Johnson & Johnson. Looking to add a position on it. Just wanted to get your analysis on it. Thanks. Appreciate the show. Have a good one. All right, looking at Johnson and Johnson, and this was uh, recently in the news because of the their vaccine, which seemed uh, a little rash to take it off the market. Six out of six point eight million had blood clots, and not even sure it's related, et cetera. So we'll see what that you know as they go through the trials because they're still doing some other trials on this. Um, but and I've said this before that Johnson Johnson's so big with quarterly quarterly sales of $22 billion, that the vaccine isn't really a a big growth driver in that way. So I don't really think this is that important from that perspective. From a profitability perspective, that's the way I look at it more, is what's the cash flows, and cash flows are very, very strong, $20 billion in free cash flow trailing 12 months, uh, growing. And it's a $420 billion market cap, so roughly a 5% free cash flow yield, which is solid. You look at its long-term profitability, return on equity, 
Average over the last decades, about 20% solid. Very, very good. 20% is a, a very good return on equity, especially for such a large company. So you're going to get a nice 2.5% dividend yield as well. That's solid. They're diversified amongst uh, not just your drugs, but also med or medical devices as well and oral care. And, you know, it's just a very diversified company. 80% of sales are, are driven by drugs and devices, but it's diversified globally as well. Half of total revenues generated here in the U.S. and half domestic or uh, abroad. So you could, if you're looking for medical exposure, it's hard to do worse than a company like J&J. Now, is it overvalued? No. Is it particularly undervalued? No. I would say it's about value. In fact, our value is somewhere in the neighborhood of $160. Well, what's the trading at now? 159 spot 92 at the close today. So it's pretty much fairly valued. So longer term, you'll do well. Probably better than most stocks you know, over the next decade, to be honest with you. So as a core holding in your portfolio, there's nothing wrong with J&J. &J. So I like it. It's just a matter of other better opportunities out there. So that's the question. And if you want lower risk on the risk spectrum, remember all equities are risky, but this is definitely be one on the lower side of the equity risk spectrum. Now our phone lines are open right now. You can call us at 888 chart I encourage you to get your calls in sooner rather than later. Now let's check in on the market today. We had a very modest down day. S&P was down about 17 points. NASDAQ was off 138 points. That was about a 1% drop in, in, uh, late in the day. We, we were overbought. Should not be a shock. We came into earnings season, and we had pretty much two big earnings reports that came out today. One was J.P. Morgan, and the other was Wells Fargo. And let me take a look at this. Yep, J.P. Morgan that they were down a bit, two dollars and eighty-eight cents. Call it three. Call it two percent. And Wells Fargo, that was better than expected, up about two dollars and twenty cents, about five percent. Uh, Goldman Sachs also had earnings that was up decently on the day, but uh, kind of fell, or kind of sold off later in the day. Uh, and those were the three big news items this morning. Uh, there were some earnings after the bell, but nothing of note. Tomorrow we get Bank of America, Citigroup, Pepsi, Rite Aid, BlackRock, United Health, Delta Airlines, U.S. Bank Corp. So a lot of earnings to note. Let's just say that tomorrow. And we are starting to get in the heart of earnings season. And this is where you're, I think you're going to start to see a little bit more potential volatility. And it shouldn't shock anybody, especially get back into the back half of the year. And those base effects start to wear off. And that's what we're seeing right now. Base effects and earnings reports are going to look pretty good, especially if you're looking year over year. Because part of Q1 of 2020 was a complete, a complete economic shutdown. And Q2 was almost entirely government shutdown, an economic shutdown. So... 
year over year, things are going to look good. You're going to need to start looking at maybe more quarter over quarter, although that t- tends to be from uh, earnings outlook, tough to really measure, especially if you're going based on the fourth quarter. A lot of consumer companies are, are back-end loaded uh, in the fourth quarter of, uh, of earnings. So once again, it's a going to be about future earnings, most of all. What are CEOs, management teams thinking about for the back half of the year, for the full year, and into 2022? Because 2022 will be more likely to be a, a year where earnings are more realistic. Government, or government crackdowns or government draconian measures to contain COVID will likely be gone by the end of the year. Potential tax increases will likely be gone, or will, will be implemented as well. So all those will be big factors during this earnings season. Now, why are we here today? Well, why am I doing this podcast? So it's to help you do a better job of securing your own financial future. And while I was on vacation last week, your goal of financial freedom can't take a vacation. And... That's why you need information and effective strategies to help deal with this changing market, this evolving market, and this uncertainty. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. For investors, the goal of achieving financial freedom requires unbiased information, strategic planning, and determination. Congratulations, you found the podcast that is dedicated to helping you succeed. Invest Talk. Let's head out to Northern California and talk with Owen. He's looking at Green Brick Partners. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? to buy it and um, also I was wondering what you thought about the pullback on molecular templates ticker symbol MTEM I know they're not profitable but they're beginning to uh, gain profits in these last couple quarters okay well let's start with green brick partners this is a company that builds single-family homes it looks like correct uh, yeah okay and this is typically in the south East and Texas. From, yeah, I from, believe so. Yeah. So clearly the housing market is strong, especially in areas like Texas, because of more people working from home and looking for cheaper places to live. Tax rates uh, in Texas are lower than a lot of other maybe left-leaning states with, with higher tax rates, like here in California. And there's a lot of people moving there. So... I like that. And inventory for existing homes is near record lows because of eviction moratoriums and because of uh, mortgage moratoriums. And as long as those are in place, which looks like they will be for a lot of this year, then inventory is going to remain low. And so I like this. Uh, I like the, the industry in, in the short to, to medium term. Because I don't see, I see the governments using the excuse for with uh, COVID to continue this moratorium to keep people in their homes, which you could argue for or against. I don't really care. It's more about what 
government policy will be, and I just see that's the way that they're going to go. Now, longer term, this is a company whose profitability has been, been up and down, but recently it's near an all-time high because of the strength in, in the market, and the, the chart looks pretty solid. So a sm it's a small builder. It's in a good area like Texas, and so I'm going to give it uh, generally a, th a thumbs up. Now, uh, I think the other one was MTEM, you said? Well, this is molecular templates, and I, you know I'm just going to pass on it. These aren't, aren't I don't know enough about it and their technology. They've always lost money, and their their revenues pretty minuscule. Technicals look poor. Uh, now we'll say it's near support, but that doesn't give me a whole lot, uh, especially for a name that oh, if you go back on a monthly chart. It's just destroyed capital ever since it, it's it's gone public. Two thousand split adjusted split adjusted back in two thousand six. It was eleven hundred dollars a share. Now it's at five dollars. So uh, unless I know more about this business, uh, I'm going to pass on it. Thanks for the call, Owen. Let's go to Taylor in Philadelphia. He's looking at Playboy. Hey, how's it going, Justin? Going well. Did you did you pick up Playboy? I did. I picked it up about six weeks ago, around $18. Obviously, it's run up really high. The volatility's kind of been all over the place, but I like the brand, and I just want to know how you how you decide a value on a company that's so new and with a lack of you know deep financials going back years. What sort of factors go into that? Yeah, it's this has been a challenge for us because we did buy this uh, actually our first purchase of this when it was uh, the day before a DSPAC. So actually, I think the symbol was C A A C or something like that. I forget exactly what it was. Uh, so we bought it back in the low teens for clients. Now it's at thirty six. Just uh, and that was a couple months ago. Um, but what we saw was the strength of that brand and the seriousness of the management team that had plans for the brand to expand it into consumer markets uh, with their own products, uh, make strategic acquisitions, uh, and to license their deep intellectual property that, frankly, is the third most recognized brand, consumer brand in the world behind Nike and Coca-Cola. So with that, we bet said, hey, they have serious management team after decades of Hugh just using the brand as kind of his personal piggy bank and, and wasn't serious about utilizing that brand. He was great building the brand, but from a monetization standpoint, he wasn't great at it. And so now that he's gone, it has a better management team. Now, forward-looking, their expected, their expected licensing revenue itself is going is, is expected to approach a billion dollars a year by 2024 or 2025, excuse me. And so you have that, which typically is very high margins, along with all the other potential avenues are going. They're looking at the cannabis space, uh, sexual wellness, etc. cetera. Uh, there's just so much that they can do. So I, I think ultimately this is a triple digit stock, uh, to be honest with you. So that's the way we look at it. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. With all the changes we see happening, it's important to remember that I am here to help you in any way. We're taking calls live at 888 chart Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. 
It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Let's go talk with Andreas in Riverside looking at Okta Inc., O-K-T-A, one of the largest cybersecurity names in the world, or uh, I guess in the cloud space, let's say that. Uh, do you own it or are you looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it, but I was wondering what you thought about it. I heard some um, positive you know, investors looking to uh, buy this and pitching it as a buy but when I'm looking at the fundamentals, and again, I'm pretty new at this, but trying to follow you guys' advice, looking at the the margins, looking at the uh, returns, uh, and especially the price um, uh, per sales, uh, it just the numbers seem really strange to me. It doesn't seem like a good place. Uh, the, like the fundamentals don't look great to me. So I was just wondering if I'm just missing something, or if you uh, think that it's probably not a good time to invest in this. No, you're you're not missing anything. It's trading an enterprise value to EBITDA uh, or enterprise value to revenue of forty one. Uh, I said this before. Ten is expensive. Twenty is extreme. So forty, you would imagine what forty is. It's it's very very high. So that's my biggest issue here. Uh, it's a good business. It, it now is producing positive free cash flow since the beginning of last year. So that's a good thing. But it's still a $40 billion, $34 billion market cap on a company whose free cash flow is $100 million. And yes, it's growing its revenues around 40% per quarter. And that's nice. And I think they're going to continue to trend more into profitability like they did, uh, like they did for 2021 full years. Uh, they had earnings of $0.11. Cents. Uh, and so I like the company. I just don't like the valuation. I think it's still uh, extreme. Uh, technicals are weakening. And I just wouldn't, this is not a name that is going to likely do well over the, the medium term uh, as the market evolves from growth focus to more value, hard asset uh, focus type of uh, companies that will, that will lead. And so this is a name that personally we have on our watch list, but it still remains far away from where we'd pick it up. So that's what I'd recommend for you. Keep it on your watch list, but be patient with it. Let's head over to Sonoma, talk with James. How you doing, James? I'm doing pretty good. I was going to ask your opinion on the strategy of uh, substituting one of the big phone companies, Verizon or AT&T, for... Uh, for uh, some bond investments, you know, since bonds seem to be trickling down and these companies uh, trade in a narrow range and uh, the, uh, the uh, dividend seems to be secure, although I'm a little worried about AT&T because of the debt. What do you think of that strategy and which company would you pick? So are you saying sell your Verizon and AT&T and buy into corporate debt of some kind? No, no. Uh, instead of instead of having bonds, oh, gotcha. uh, maybe take some of that bond money and putting it to the putting it to the uh, big phone companies. You know, they got they, it. They, so you're saying the opposite. 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Now, uh, I would say Verizon would be probably the safer one, but that's also why you're going to get a 4.4% yield. Uh, we like both of them, but to me, from a risk-reward standpoint, I still think AT&T is, is the better of the two. It, and your yield is better 7% currently, and they do have a good amount of debt, uh, but the their business remains solid and strong. They have a lot of potential upside to parts of their business with the Time Warner deal and HBO and HBO Max. And I think that's going to slowly continue to grow and grow and become uh, a bigger competitor to the Netflixes of the world. Because frankly, historically, HBO has a much better track record of content, putting out good content, than Netflix does. Certainly Netflix is a, a shorter... Uh, time period to prove that, but uh, history says HBO does does very very well, and so uh, I still like AT and T uh, a bit more. And where interest rates are, where where high grade and even high yield corporate bond yields are, I, I do think you're going to get a better return with something like an AT and T or a Verizon. Uh, and I I like that strategy if you're going to do it, but it is a bit higher risk. Let's go to James from Seattle. Let's talk about semiconductor stocks. Yeah, hey, Justin. Um, I've uh, been reading a lot about the global semiconductor shortage and um, not totally sure about uh, whether or not this uh, this would be a good buying opportunity um, for, uh, you know, maybe LAM Research, LRCX. Um, and, and is there... You know, is there a lot, is there validity in, in this shortage that does that mean it's going to, uh, is going to benefit the semiconductor stocks that much? Well, I would say there is validity. Uh, the issue with using that as a backdrop for your investment thesis is that typically when something hits the, the newswire, and everyone's reading about it, it's too late. It's already priced in. Uh, you've seen a lot of these semiconductor stocks rally dramatically. Now, one thing I do think will be a multi-year, multi-maybe even decade process is onshoring of semiconductor manufacturing. And I think that is a better way to look at it, more targeted way. Typically, it's a very cyclical industry. And so uh, capacity, while harder to bring on today than it was years ago, um, it's still going to be put on. So I would pause. Give me a call, 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, made possible by KPP Financial, where principals and Invest Talk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, are independent financial advisors. For clients, they are fiduciaries. Steve and Justin have a duty and a commitment to always place the interests of their clients ahead of the firm. This is different from the way many other organizations operate. And one way you can realize the benefit of an association with KPP Financial is to know that KPP practices parallel investing. This means that the personal investment accounts of KPP principals participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. It's an important difference. You can learn more anytime at investtalk.com. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking with shared success. eBay Motors is here for the ride. 
Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. My focus point today concerns the story the Labor Department says consumer prices jumped more than expected, pushing pushed up by gasoline prices up 9.1% year over year. And this is a story that shouldn't shock anybody, although the projections for a 0.5% monthly increase came in at 06 and year-over-year year was expected to be 2.5, came about 2.6, so a bit higher than expected. But it was the highest year-over-year year inflation figure since August 2018, and above, well above last month's, which is 1.7%. So this shouldn't be a shock. We're starting to get into these base effects of March, April, May of last year. So the CPI number is going to look 
look high. Gasoline prices itself are up 22.5% year over year. Remember how gasoline prices fell dramatically in March of last year? Energy prices as a whole, as a whole are up 13%. Food prices up 3.5%. Grocery store index, that was up 5.4%. Okay. So you're also seeing a jump for food away from home, restaurants. That was up 6.5% year over year. So the cost of not only the underlying food, but paying workers and the cost to keep everyone sanitized from COVID, all that is kind of adding up. Now, core CPI, which excludes food and energy, which I always hate when they, they look at, but that increased 1.6% year over year. So that wasn't really that high. But always interesting to see these numbers. But in a lot of ways, they're likely to be transitory. This is not something that we're not going to have these base effects six months from now. And that's what I'm most interested in, is what will inflation look like? Where will the dollar be? six months from now, as we spend more, issue a lot of debt over the next couple of months, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 billion, if I'm remembering correctly, which is going to be a record for a month. Now let's keep things moving. Let's go to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier at 888 chart Hi, I am a young person living in an expensive city. My fiance and I both make a lot more money than our parents, but our parents want to help us with our upcoming wedding. So they're getting a pretty good amount of money that they had saved away. But we know that our parents haven't been saving for retirement. So what we want to do is secretly save that money and give it to them back monthly as a gift when they are in retirement. They're in their late 50s, so it'll probably be five to 10 years. And we're wondering what the best use of the lump sum is. It's between $10,000 and $15,000. We don't want to do anything too high risk because they will be approaching retirement soon. But at the same time, we also have our own savings accounts already for our retirement that are higher risk since we're younger. So I guess I'm just wondering what the best use of that money would be to prepare them for retirement. Thank you. Well, this is a little tricky because you want to do it without them knowing. And the best use of that would be to put that money into some sort of an IRA or a Roth IRA for them. But they need to report that. And they need to open up the account. They, you can't open up that for them under their social security number without them signing it. So that's going to be a little difficult is to is from more of where is that money what type of account is that money going into remember an IRA Roth IRA it's just an account type it's not an investment itself now what you should put that money in that is a more complex question at another age they make less than you does that mean they also have no retirement do they have some retirements how close are they retirement how much should be in equities, fixed income, commodities, etc. Those are all complicated questions. So I really would need to know a little bit more. I love that you're doing this. I love that you're kind of giving back and you know that you don't need it nearly as much as, as they do. Uh, but they're, they're insisting, I'm sure. 
So maybe shoot me an email with a little more details and I can, I can help you out some more, but hopefully that gave you some way to think about that and come to a conclusion, but I'd be happy to help with that conclusion as well. Now let's take another caller question, this time from a listener in Minnesota. Hi, Stephen Justin, long-time caller here from Minnesota. Love your show and uh, learn a lot. Anyways, I have a question today. I'm looking for a fund, I guess, or a stock in the medical sector, and there's a few of them that I like. I don't know which one is better than the other, so I found this fund, IHI. Does that look like a good one? I think it pays a pretty good dividend, and I don't think there's any debt really attached to it. So just wondering what your thoughts were on IHI. Thank you for your thoughts. I'll look forward to listening to them on the show. Well, this is the iShares U.S. Medical Device ETF, and I kind of like this because I think there's less regulatory potential scrutiny on prices and pricing pressure longer term for medical devices versus, say, pharmaceuticals. I think there's going to be uh, more pricing pressure on that front just because you've seen more abuse there from various actors. And medical devices, a lot of it, you actually have to produce oftentimes complex, high-tech products. And it's easier to justify, I think, the margins on those politically. And so I rather own this than something that's more pharma-focused. Now, I will say some of the top names in this are, are a bit overvalued. Abbott is a great company, 14% of this fund, highest uh, position, a bit overvalued. Thermo Fisher Scientific, Medtronics, Danaher, Intuitive Surgical, Stryker, uh, a few of those are, are also pretty uh, expensive as well. So I would be more digging into some individual names and, and look at the, the top holdings here. It has 66 separate equity holdings in total. And so that's the way I would do it. But you're getting a nice broad exposure here, which I like. Uh, but once again, I would be more creating my own basket of five, six, seven names that I really like out of the companies within this particular uh, ETF, as well as some, some smaller ones as well. So I like what you're thinking about. Uh, I'd just be a little more targeted myself. This is Invest Talk. Next up, we're going to head out to Hawaii for this question. Hi, uh, Rowan calling uh, from Honolulu, Hawaii. I was wondering what you guys thought about uh, Nokia stock. Seems like it might be a good buy and uh, have, you know, long-term potential with uh, 5G. Look forward to hearing your thoughts. Thank you. All right, looking at Nokia. This is one of the largest telecom companies in the world, Finnish. They're a developer of telecom infrastructure mainly. $23 billion market cap. But the issue here is the lack of growth. They're just kind of stagnant. Earnings in 2017 were 38 cents. Expected next year, earnings of only 31 cents. Earnings in 2022 were 32 cents. And that's the main issue here is it's a business that still is consistent, still is creating profits in cash flow, but it's just not exciting. It's really the issue. Profitability 
is up and down over the last decade from negative return on equity to as high as 46% back in 2014. No real economic moat. Yes, there's some opportunity with 5G in, in, in the near term, but it just doesn't get me excited. They have a good balance sheet, solid cash flows. It's somewhat cheap, but if you look on the backdrop of lack of revenue growth, in the midst of a 5G rollout globally, where's the beef here? I, I, I don't see anything that gets me that excited about it, so I'm going to pass. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8899 We have about 15 minutes left in the show, so I encourage you to get your calls in sooner rather than later. Now, now that we're through the first quarter, I think it's worth time to take a minute to make you aware of some of the benefits of working with myself and Steve Peasley through our, our company, Cape Financial. We're based in Irvine, California. And let me remind you that here in InvestTalk and in our company, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. And how do we do that? Well, on and off air, we provide that unbiased guidance and we practice parallel investing, meaning we implement the same strategies for our clients as we do for ourselves in our own portfolios. So I encourage you to take advantage of our free offer to provide a portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or go to meetings. Send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California at 800, sorry, yeah, 800-557-5461. After you speak to us just for a few minutes, uh, we can see how we can help make a difference in your financial life. Now, there's no obligation. We'd love to talk, and we'd love to help you in any way. Next, we have a question that we seem to get each month, but we are constantly adding new listeners, so it's okay to revisit the topic of trading apps. That one will be next. There is good news for loyal InvestTalk listeners, their friends, and families. Steve and Justin have recorded a special bonus podcast. This free podcast is available for download anytime. Typically, each day and night, the InvestTalk call center receives more voicemail questions than Steve and Justin can fit into a live show format. So in the bonus program, caller questions will be played back from our voice bank and answered with brief, unbiased, and helpful responses. The first segment of the Rapid Fire Hour is hosted by Justin Klein, and Steve Beasley handles the second half. It's a fast-paced learning podcast for the average investor. It's free, so be sure to tell your friends. It can be downloaded now at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Look for Rapid Fire Hour. Hi, this is Zach in Oakland. I was just wondering about the analyst ratings on Webull and Finviz and Robinhood and if they're accurate or not. Like when it says there have been nine analysts and 67% of them say to buy, an example is ticker symbol LAC. Is that really good advice? What would you say? And um, where could I find better analyst advice if possible? Well, let's back up here and talk about analysts and what analysts are good for. Analysts are good for earnings, sales, projections. They work for a big bank, typically. They are canvassing the industry, talking with management, and 
utilizing their data to project out next quarter, full year, next year, of what earnings are going to be. And history says, though, that analyst price targets or buy or sell recommendations are extremely mixed, meaning there's not a whole lot of value in those price projections. Oftentimes, they're using their earnings and sales projections going forward and just taking a multiple approach. They think this company is going to make $2 next year. The average company in their industry is trading at 20 times earnings. Maybe they think that it's a bit better than the, the average company within the industry. So maybe it's going to put a 25 times earning projection or 25 times uh, multiple on that stock. And it's going to come out at a $50 target. And oftentimes the, the stock can go up and go past 50 and they're going to feel like they're behind the, the eight ball and say, well, now it needs to trade at 35 times. And now the stock price is 70. So they're very reactionary in that way. If multiples across the industry expand or contract, they don't know that. They don't, they don't, they don't know that's going to happen. So utilizing analyst rankings of a buy or a sell just isn't reliable in any way. It should not be the basis of anyone's buy or sell decisions. Now, once again, if you're looking at, you want to know what they're likely to earn in the coming year or two, an analyst projection is probably pretty useful. They tend to be closer to the company, closer to the industry than most. It's their job. But utilizing it as a buy or sell decision just doesn't add up. And in practice, it's not a great way to make an investment decision. Thanks for the call. Great question. And you know, there's a lot of sources for that, for, for these, these ratings. Many times, there's conflicts of interest as well. If, for example, the under, and you've seen this uh, back, uh, I think there was a Sarbanes-Oxley, I forget the exact legislation, well, the legislation didn't solve the problem. But the problem is, is that oftentimes the investment bank is also underwriting the bond offering or more equity offerings. And in order to get that business, they're not going to put a sell rating on that company. They're going to put a buy rating on it. And so there's a lot of conflicts of interest on that side as well. So once again, don't use analyst price projections for buy and sell decisions. All right, Fernando in San Francisco, hang on. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 chart You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions 
888-99-CHART. Let's talk with Fernando in San Francisco. He has a question about real estate. Yes, uh, Justin. So I'm planning to uh, sell my condominium, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it's paid off. And I would like to know if it's a good idea to invest this money in an income program. Basically, uh, have that money pay for my rent and wait a few years for the market uh, to uh, go down Correct. for the South, housing yeah. market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think – I think it's a pretty good idea. Uh, a lot will depend on what your goal for uh, that that money will be or, the, or that rent price. How much money do you think you'll be able to cash out and then what do you think your rent will be? So basically, um, it's a small apartment, uh, let's say 300000 and okay. uh, to rent something equal, it will run about $2,000 a month, per month. Okay. So, see, that's going to be tough because even at 5%, which is a reasonable number to, to get in this market, it's, it's, it's a bit of a stretch, especially in, say, high-grade corporates or something like that. That's only about fifteen thousand a year, and two thousand a month. That's twenty-four thousand. So you probably would would not be able to pay for your entire rent just with that three the, the income off that three hundred thousand. So I will say that. So you have to understand that you're 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 stretching there a bit. Okay. So, um, but then uh, my my income will become uh, basically. Uh, I could save all, all of my income or cover whatever is uh, uh, needed. But the yeah, main uh, cer- purpose would yeah. be to... Cer- certainly that's going to uh, help pay for that rent, um, but just know that it's not going to cover it. If you have other income, uh, there's there's nothing wrong with that strategy of uh, putting in something moderately conservative in a, a three to five year time frame saying you need to use it, you can still take some risk with that, but don't expect it to cover all of your rent. But as long as you have other income, know that it can help augment your rental payment. So I hope that helps. Thanks for the call, Fernando. Now let's squeeze in another question. This one might be the final call of the day. It came in earlier on 888 chart. Hi there, I'm calling to get your opinion on Reliance Steel, tickers RS. I've owned this and I have a sizable return and wondering if now is time to exit the position or if you guys feel that there is more run room with this. Uh, It seems to be getting a bump from this infrastructure bill, but buy the rumor, sell the news kind of deal is is kind of why I'm I'm wondering if it's time to get out. I appreciate your thoughts. Thank you. All right, great question. I like the way you're thinking is that, hey, the, the news is out, and oftentimes after the news is out, the stock sells off or the narrative starts to wear off. Everyone talks about the potential news event and the rumor, and then it happens, and they talk about it for, for a few days, and then everyone moves on to the next thing. And so that's kind of where buy the rumor, sell the news comes. Now, Reliant Steel, this is one of the largest U.S. steel manufacturers. And 
Earnings are expected this year to be at an all-time high of $10.91. So that's good. Longer term, if you look at their profitability, it's, it's up and down. It's an industry that is it's a price taker for the most part. Now, Reliance itself does have some more specialty products, but in general, they're making steel, and steel is easy to get everywhere. Uh, but it's one of the best run steel companies. And the chart looks strong. It looks steady. It's consolidating here around the 150 level. So I see nothing really wrong with the chart. The fundamentals are a little bit expensive, but not completely out of whack. So what I would do is I would have a stop loss on this. This has held the 100 day moving average. Right now that's at about 132 and it's gonna to continue to rise as the days go on. And that would be my out. If it closes multiple days below that 100-day moving average, I would be out. Um, and I would hold it otherwise. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I, thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family members about our free podcast downloads. We post a new program each weekday after the end of our live stream broadcast, which concludes at 5 p.m. Pacific time. You can get your free download anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.